are the names of God sung in different theistic traditions referring to one same God? What is the significance of the names of God in the current cosmological age in which planet Earth is living through? What happens if we're not interested in chanting the names of God? All this and more in today's episode of Atma Vision. Hello, hello, I'm Cyril War, also known as Chandrasekhar, and welcome to Atma Vision, where we grow in spirit together by seeing the world through the lens of the sacred and scientific teachings of the Krishna Bhakti Yoga tradition. So, the names of God, right? Are they referring to the same Supreme God, to the same Supreme person if such a supreme person exists in the first place in the different traditions of the world right um, at least in the theistic traditions we see a clear theme that comes up again and again namely the idea of the holy name of god right whether it's in the christian tradition where all the psalms are sung and whether ancient uh, gregorian chants or you know, 2023 gospel music and everything in between the idea is that the name of God is holy and is powerful and is sanctified and so on. We see the same thing in the uh, Islamic tradition and the Jewish tradition. And we certainly see that in the Bhakti tradition of, of India, where the idea is that God and his holy name are um, identical and God has invested all his power, all his energy, all his love, all his compassion and so on in his uh, holy name. So the question that comes up is, all right, well, is the Muslim who's chanting Allah, Allah, and is the Christian who's chanting Jesus, 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 or Christ, 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 and is the Krishna Bhakta who is chanting Govinda, Govinda, or Krishna, Krishna, and so on, um, are, are those names referring to the same reality, to the same divine reality, or we could say to the same supreme person or personal God? or not? Um, well, that's a question of faith, isn't it? Because where will you find empiric evidence to justify that, uh, that claim either way, right? Um, there is an experiential dimension to it. In other words, if you chant Hare Krishna and you experience a certain amount of, of happiness and bliss and peace, and you go to a church on Sunday and you experience a similar type of bliss and happiness and peace, then you can, from your own experience, conclude that perhaps that holy name in whichever tradition we're talking about refers to the same Supreme God, so the same Supreme person. So that ultimately, yeah, there is, or the claim is made that there is one Supreme, um, you know, absolute behind or, you know, reachable through the holy name of whichever tradition we're talking about, right? Now, one thing that comes up then is the motivation or the theological framework in which that holy name, whichever tradition we're talking about, is sung. And I think that makes a big difference. And let me explain why. Um, and I'm going to juxtapose or pit against each other two opposing paradigms that we find in one you know, particular spiritual tradition. Um, 
I mean, in all spiritual traditions, namely the idea of impersonalism and personalism. And let me unpack that. In every theistic tradition, with to speak of the ones that are, you know, from the very beginning, non-dualistic, you find a tendency to worship God as a supreme person with whom uh, you have a relationship with, right? Um, and, and who loves you and you love him and there's a relationship, as, in, as we say in French, le relationnel, le relationnel, the, the theme of, of, of the relational, you know, element. Uh, as, as we say, it takes two to tango, where there's two distinct ontological, real per conscious persons here in the picture. One is the individual minute person or the soul. And, you know, on the other end of the bridge <laughs> or on the other side of the exchange is the supreme person or God, right? And then the practice of chanting God's names is done with the spirit of um, deepening one's love for God and receiving more love from God, right? Without any ulterior motive um, other than that, right? In the ideal uh, consideration. In other words, not chanting God's names to, you know, get some like, you know, prosperity gospel kind of thing. You, you know, you get a, a better material life. Although God, at least in the Bhakti tradition, tradition does promise that he certainly takes care and maintains and provides what one, what one lacks and what one needs for sure. Um, that makes you think of the, of one latest song that, um, one, uh, one contemporary Christian singer, um, what's his name? Blessing O4, I think that's his name. And he sings, you know, um, he sings to this beautiful song. Actually, we, we played it last time, I think. Um, you know, do, do I, if you, if you don't, you know, fulfill my material needs, but you take care of me, right? You give me what I need. Is that still enough, enough to believe? Anyway, so closing that parenthesis, the idea, as I said, that, that, that the motivation is love, receiving more love and deepening one's more one's love for God without a desire for, you know, material, material uh, improvement. And, and, and this is the key without, without a desire for becoming one or becoming God oneself, right? Um, the, the common theme of mukti or moksha, the desire, you know, you'll do your spiritual practice, whatever it be for the sake of realizing that you are God, right? So why do I say that? Because as long, I believe, uh, as long as the, the, the motivation um, behind chanting God's names is um, within the context of devotion, of bhakti, of wanting, as I said, to deepen one's love for God and being a, a greater recipient of God's, you know, causeless mercy and grace in the context of, you know, of a relationship, of an eternal relationship that lasts even after the death of the physical body, then at least I claim that, yes, whether you're chanting Christ, 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 Allah, 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 Krishna, 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 um, it doesn't matter. God is one and he's hearing that prayer and he's hearing God's names. I mean, his own names being sung and therefore the effect is there. Now, it gets a little bit, excuse me, it gets a little bit more complicated when the, uh, when the motivation behind the chanting is... Um, the motivation to become one with God, to become God. Um, because if, if becoming God is the main goal, then, um, then why would God help the competition? <laughs> why would God help the competition? Um, and I think this is a good segue into our uh, Prabhupada moment, part of our episode, where um, we'll hear uh, Prabhupada's own voice 
and um, we can comment on that. He forced Krishna to allow you to come. So here Prabhupada is saying, you forced Krishna to allow you to come. In other words, the soul wanted to leave the spiritual world and enter into the material world, and God said, okay. Just like sometimes a child forces the father. Father says, my dear son, do not do this, do not go. But he insists, well, I must, I must. So here, the son, the analogy of the son who wants something or who wants to go something, please, please, Father, let me go, let me go, or let me have it. And the father says, no, no, no. And finally, after the son insists, the father's like, okay, fine. Go at your risk. Go at your risk. That's all. That's all. And you suffer. And you suffer. What can be done? Because what can be done? Your son of God, uh, God has got independence, full independence, almighty. So you are a son of God. God has got full independence because he's almighty. Therefore, you have acquired the quality of your father. You have got little independence. You also have acquired a partial amount of that independence because you're the son of God. So you have the same characteristics, the same qualities as the father. The God does not interfere with your little independence. Right? God does not interfere with your little independence. You persist that I must go and enjoy independently. So God says, all right, you can go. So that was a class in 1974 in Melbourne, Australia, dealing with this idea of free will, right? Where the soul has ultimately, the onus is on the individual soul to um, to go away from God or to, you know, go towards God. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So let's talk about cosmology here, as I mentioned at the beginning, the idea of the Kali Yuga. For those of you who are here for the first time, um, and by the way, for those of you who are here for the first time, Srila Prabhupada, I, didn't, I, mentioned, I forgot to mention, uh, Prabhupada is a key, key, very key figure in the history of the Bhakti Renaissance or Hinduism in general, although the word you know, Hinduism is, is very problematic because it's a, it's a word that was invented by foreign invaders of India. It's a word that doesn't exist in the original Sanskrit, you know, sacred texts of India. Um, it's a, it's an umbrella term um, that incorporates or that, yeah, that incorporates uh, spiritual traditions that are really diametrically opposed, we could even say, to, to theism, to devotion to a personal God. As I often say, there's more differences, theologically speaking, between the different schools of quote-unquote Hinduism than there is between, for example, Islam and Christianity, or Judaism and Islam, or Christianity and, and Judaism. So I really, you know, and we should use that term very carefully. You know, academically, it's a category and so we use it, but um, it's a problematic term, right? Um, at any rate, um, all the uh, so so Prabhupada is a really important personality in the in the sort of the export <laughs> history of quote unquote Hinduism in the contemporary world, twentieth um, twenty first century. 
Um, and specifically, you know, for the Vaishnavas or for the Krishna devotees around the world and indirectly or directly, we could say, uh, with the Renaissance that we're seeing in terms of kirtan, practice chanting of kirtan and mantra meditation and, 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 and the popularity of the Bhagavad Gita and other Vedic literatures like the Srimad Bhagavatam, which Prabhupada uh, very much made popular. As a matter of fact, the Bhagavad Gita as it is, which is the the, 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 the edition of the Bhagavad Gita that Prabhupada translated and commented upon is by far, by far, by far the most read uh, and studied uh, on this planet today. So, speaking of Vedic literatures and the idea of a cosmic age cycle, uh, summer, winter, autumn, spring, seasons, in terms of time uh, scale that's huge, that keeps repeating each other, we are in what's called the Kali Yuga which began approximately 5,000 years ago. And so I raised the question at the beginning about, okay, what's the relationship between chanting the holy name, the practice of chanting God's names, and the age in which supposedly uh, we are living in? So for that, I'd like to just read to you a famous verse from the 12th book or the 12th canto of the Bhagavata Purana, or also known as the Srimad Bhagavatam. And there, um, there's a sage speaking to a king, and he's telling him this, and this is this is a really famous verse, which again, like, marries the idea of chanting the holy name of God and the age or the Kali Yuga, the age in which we supposedly are. So the verse goes like this in Sanskrit: And the translation goes, "My dear King." Although Kali Yuga is an ocean of faults, there is still one good quality about this age. Simply by chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, one can become free from material bondage and be promoted to the transcendental kingdom. So, what's established at the beginning is that this age of Kali in which we live in is an ocean of faults, right? The Sanskrit is dosha nidhe. Nidhe means ocean, and dosha is not the Indian sort of uh, crepe that's eaten, but it's, it's a fault, it's a defect, it's a problem. So it's an ocean of faults, right? This age of Kali in which we live in, which started 5,000 years ago, is an ocean of faults. It's the worst of the four ages, so it's, it's the age in which there's the, by far the most faults. But, 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 astihi, but there certainly is eka, eka means one, right? One Mahan, or very great, thus we say, you know, Mahabharata or Mahatma Gandhi, a great soul, so-called Atma, Maha, Atma, great soul. Um, and I say so-called because I don't think Mahatma Gandhi was a great spiritualist, but that's another topic. So there is one great quality in this in this ocean of faults, right? One good quality, Eka Guna, or one good quality. And what is that? Kirtanat. By the kirtan, by chanting, right? Eva, certainly Krishnasya, of the holy name of Krishna, or the holy name of God, to use a more universal application here. By the, by the chanting of God's holy name, right? What happens is muktasanga, you, you, param, you, you literally get liberated from, well, in this context, the cycle of birth and death. You get liberated from suffering in this life and you get liberated from having to reincarnate in, again into another material body. You get what, you know, the non-dualists want, which is this liberation, this mukti, this moksha. But not only that, you get elevated to the highest 
um, region of the kingdom of God, Param Vrajet, right? You can go to the highest region, to the most confidential region of the kingdom of God. And so we'll, we'll speak about that in another episode. What is the description of heaven, um, specifically specifically in the Bhakti tradition and in Hinduism in general? And we'll make some cross religious observations or just, yeah, uh, references. But here the idea is that in this age of Kali, things are so bad, so degraded, so just like, yeah, like pitiful and despicable that uh, there's no hope for the soul, except, except that God has made one arrangement. That is, if you chant God's names, right, whether individually, that's why there's this practice of the rosary, right? You see in the theistic traditions, people have some sort of mala or rosary or digital tally counter with which they keep count of how many times they chant a particular mantra or God's names, or even better, not to say that we shouldn't do the, the, the former, but more powerful is when a group chanting goes on, right? A, a group, that's why the word kirtan, when you get together and you chant God's names together, right? And when that happens... That's the one good quality of this age. That's the one good quality of this age. Therefore, you know, whatever theistic tradition you belong to, you should make it a point to go to as many kirtans as possible. Go to as many, you know, uh, congregational gatherings where God's names, whichever tradition you belong to, are being chanted, right? That's, that's really, really, really important. So now to end our little program here is a short, 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 because of the algorithm problematic, uh, although this is fair use. Um, here's a short clip from one of my favorite songs called Something About the Name Jesus from none other than the famous Kirk Franklin. And, um, and in, in this song, here's the lyrics, right? He goes, something about the name Jesus, something about the name Jesus, something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. It is the sweetest name I know. Listen to this. So he says, oh, how I love the name. Oh, how I love the name. It is the sweetest name I know, right? So coming back to that original question, you know, do different traditions worship the same God? I would say definitely yes. And and you can see from the, from the testimony of different theists, you know, in different traditions, how much love they experience when chanting, right? And, and what's the experience they, they're, they're feeling when in contact with God's names, right? When you say, you know, it is the sweetest name I know, right? The Holy Spirit is going through me. I, I, my, my, it shots up in my bones, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then something must be going on, right? Something must be going on. So finally, to address the last point that I raised, um, what happens if you, you know, if we don't feel much attraction or if we're not really interested in chanting God's names, right? As, as someone who practices bhakti yoga, it's a daily struggle to get, you know, to my rosary or to my digital tally counter and, you know, get those mantras chanted. Um, and sometimes, or not sometimes, all the time, I'd rather, you know, watch the U.S. Open than, than chant my rounds. You know, if I have to choose between one or the other, there's only a limited amount of time. Um, our tendency is usually to go towards, 
you know, the path of least resistance and uh, the, the sort of the, the more materially enjoyable uh, activity or, or source of, of entertainment, so to speak, right? Um, and, and this feeling of, you know, not being very much attracted to chanting God's name is echoed by, and I'll, here's the last reference I'll make to you before closing, um, there's a famous verse by Lord Chaitanya. So those of you who don't know Lord Chaitanya is, Lord Chaitanya is considered to be God himself who appeared in 1486, West Bengal, India. Um, Krishna himself who appeared in the mood or with the, the, the spiritual sentiment of his internal potency or God's internal spiritual energy, um, feminine pleasure potency, uh, technically known as Radharani in the Bhakti tradition. You kind of see that in the mother, in the figure of, of Mother Mary in the Christian tradition. Um, and, and so Lord Chaitanya left uh, eight written instructions, um, the second of which goes, Nam Nama Karibahuda, etc., etc. I'll spare you the Sanskrit, but he's basically saying, he's praying to God and saying, my Lord, you know, you have appeared in your holy name. Your holy name is full of all potencies of all uh, shaktis, right? Of all energies, of all love. Uh, it's unlimited. You have unlimited number of names as well, which would, you know, tend to uh, substantiate the claim that different theistic traditions um, do refer to the same supreme person, the supreme, the same supreme Lord. Um, but I'm so unfortunate that I have no attraction. I have no attraction for them. I have no attraction. I'm so just not that attracted to them, right? So, so, you know, if you feel like, uh, you're, you know, you, you're not really that enthusiastic about your practice of chanting God's names, well, you know, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. And this is typical of us. And, and the solution is just, you know, just do it nonetheless, do it anyway, do it anyway. Um, because if you just continue chanting God's names, you know, individually and in group, then, uh, you have to have faith that that activity itself will purify your, you know, the crud of your consciousness uh, slowly but surely and your original love of God, your original spontaneous attraction to God will reawaken more and more from its sort of uh, dormant comatose, comatose state. And so it's just like uh, you just uh, got to keep on taking the medicine and with the, the faith and experience too. I mean, uh, you know, like, you know, why would you keep doing something after 10 or 15 years if, if there wasn't some effect, right? So don't be too hard on yourself either. But the idea is just keep on chanting. And if we do that, if we just keep on chanting God's holy names again, again, and again, uh, repeatedly, um, individually, and in group, um, then gradually we'll, we'll come to the point where we're, you know, relishing more and more that's, you know, alleged sweet holy name. And we really will come to a stage where we are singing, wow, you know, the name of Krishna or the name of Christ or the name of Jesus is the sweetest name I know. It's the sweetest name I know, right? And so the more we do that, the more we can be confident that our life is really successful, that we're living our life in the best possible way. And in spite of our, you know, ups and downs and, you know, disappointments and, and whatnot in this life, if we keep chanting God's name, then we're doing what's supposed to be done in the age of Kali. We are, you know, situated in transcendence every time we pick up that rosary, every time we chant that holy name in the shower, or every time we get together and do a kirtan. And, and there's nothing greater that could be, uh, that could be done. So, oops, sorry, I'm new with this. Um, but yeah, that's the point. Um, we just got to keep chanting and chanting. And, and if we do that, then we're good to go. Thanks for hearing. Talk to you next time.